Welcome to Enough with the Small Talk. I'm your host, Katie Lane. I'm your pain recovery coach and life coach, here to help you navigate this little thing we call living. Are you done with the surface level life? Over surface level conversations, you're craving that deep emotional support where you can bear your soul to someone who cares? That's me. I'm that person. I'm that best friend that everyone thinks is their therapist, you know, except I'm not a therapist, but that's okay. I'm here to emotionally support you, help you acknowledge and recognize the things that you've actually gone through, and to show you that what you feel is valid and that the key to moving forward and healing is understanding exactly who you are. So I can't wait to dive in. You guys, welcome back. What an emotional day this has been for Katie Lane. Today is September 7th, 2022. My grandmother would be turning 89 today. She passed away November 29th of last year, so it's almost been a year. And, uh, holy smokes. Emotional, but also just remembering and honoring her, you know, in a good way. Oh, she was such a lovable soul. (laughs) And I know I am like her in uh, many ways. So she forever lives on in her family, me and my brother and his kids. So shout out to Giggy up there, wherever you are since. Happy birthday and I love you and I miss you. On another note, today's episode is actually an interview that I did with Dr. Brendan McCann. So this episode is for the person who feels as though you're still in the thick of your injury, of your pain, even if you're dealing with chronic illness. But my back pain friends, this one really is going to hit home for you, especially if you're someone who you're either in a current um almost debilitated really really your pain is is inhibiting your day-to-day function or if you've been in that place in the past this episode will hit home for you so Dr. Brendan McCann actually asked me to do a live interview with him um, because he was interested in me sharing a bit more of the intricacies the behind the scenes my day-to-day life when I saw him so this interview was recorded of April 19th of 2022 you will hear in the interview I I worked with Dr. McCann a few years ago when I was in the thick of my back injury like when I still couldn't really sit or stand for more than 10 minutes at a time so we're gonna dive into not only my herniated disc but a diagnosis and kind of like a, a a um Something that Dr. McCann uncovered as a big contributor to what he believed was contributing to a lot of my pain and why I wasn't making progress. Why no matter what I did, I wasn't getting better. This can be referred to as modic changes or also end plate edema. So my back pain people, definitely one for you to listen to. We dive into not only kind of the clinical aspect, but also the deep emotional, the mental aspect of um, the struggle that this really is, um, 
And then him and I kind of diving into some wisdom and the intricacies of this diagnosis and how I've learned to manage and overcome, but also highlighting too what I really appreciate about him as a practitioner and other practitioners that I've met along the way. So buckle up. Here we go. We have Dr. Brendan McCann here with us today. And you are by term primary spine practitioner and chiropractor, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I work I work as a chiropractor. My, I did additional uh, training in managing spine uh, spine diagnosis and management. Um, and basically the with the vision of being able to have any person who comes through the door with some spine related problem be able to um, get an accurate, useful diagnosis um, and start with management, whether that's the 95% that we can manage conservatively in my office or the Mm. smaller group of people that it's more useful to get them out to some other specialist uh, for their care um, and to follow up with them so people aren't getting lost in the medical system because we know back pain is such a uh, chronic problem for some people who that was your experience. Yes, it was. That's what led me to you. That's how I found you was I got to the point where I felt like I had kind of exhausted all of the um, typical treatments, the PT, the steroid injections. Um, and you I was looking gone through the grocery store of, uh, of spine treatments there. That's such a good like analogy. It's so true. I, I had, <laughs> I'd gone down all the aisles. Um, and it's still like, oh, wait, you were going to ask me questions. Yeah, I, I was well, going to so, ask you I questions. Mean, so, uh, uh, so I wanted to uh, ask you first, like, in the sort of like at the time when you first came to my office, what were things like? And that'll give people an idea of like what the diagnosis that you got actually means. Um, yeah. And then I want, and then I want to really hear about like what it's like living with that. So like you were probably five years into having episodes of back pain already by the time that um, you first uh, came came to to see me. Um, yeah. and I'm wondering what life was like, kind of as a snapshot in that, in that time when you first came into the office. Yeah. So when I first came to see you, things were pretty bad. Um, I saw you what 2019 or 2020 probably somewhere um, around there. Yeah. Yeah. 2018. Um, so I originally got hurt in 2015 and I had, an episode that last, it was a really bad episode where I was in the hospital for seven days in a row. I did PT, but then I got back to like functional. So I was good for like a year. Um, I was uncomfortable, but like it didn't hinder my ability to work. I could bend over, like it didn't inhibit any functional movements that I had to do, you know? Um, and then a year later, I started having these episodes and it was once every three months. I would end up in the hospital um, and I would be down for the count for about four weeks at a time. I couldn't walk. I couldn't move. Eric would have to like help me to the bathroom. Like I couldn't do anything. Um, but after four weeks, I would get back to a functional state. So it was like this weird to me. All I knew was I had a herniated disc then. That's all the diagnosis that I had. L4, L5. And so I'd have these really bad episodes for four weeks, but then I'd get better. And that lasted for two years straight. 
it was once every three months I was in the hospital for two years. Then I had kind of my last episode, I call it in 2018. And it was, uh, oh, I see my brother. Hi, Wuchi. Um, in 2018, I had what I called kind of my last episode and four weeks went by. I didn't get better. Eight weeks went by. I didn't get better. Mm. I still could hardly walk. I couldn't leave my apartment. I couldn't get to the doctor. Um, the only time I got out of my apartment was to get, I would have to lay down in the back of a vehicle to go in to the doctor's appointment. And I would have to lay on the floor in the hospital waiting for my appointments because I couldn't sit, I couldn't stand. Um, and that's when I did steroid injections. So right before I came to see you, I had about an eight month to a year span where I was like, just treatment, like I was looking for anything and everything. And I was trying anything and everything. And I had eight steroid injections in a three month span. Um, SI joint injections, injections in my back. I had a PRP injection um, and just nothing, nothing was really working. And so I started focusing on when I had met you, I was really into like the gut health, the nutrition. I had just, I had read the book Back Mechanic by Dr. McGill, which really, really helped me. Um, you were the only doctor out of like the 12 that I saw that had any idea who he was, that book. I remember being like, oh my God, this is my guy, <laughs> you know? I, I remember connecting over that. There was a, it was, it's, it's cool to run into patients who like have a lot of literacy around what is going on with them. And yeah. uh, d definitely McGill's books uh, are, are great for getting some of that literacy. So you, you had that, we were speaking on the same terms right from the start, yeah. Right, it gave me a much more um, in-depth understanding of how my body was actually like, what was happening inside my body. Um, and so when I came to say, see you, you, your office was about 20 minutes from my house. And like, that was like my limit. Like I would get to you and I'd lay down on your table. I'd sit for a little while and then lay down on your table. Um, so I wasn't working. I wasn't able to work. I could sit for maybe 10 minutes at a time, but it was like really painful. I couldn't bend at all. Mm. Remember us trying to do the like. Yeah, that was down. about it, right? What you just could demonstrate on screen there. That was about it. I still struggle with that um, big time. And uh, yeah, I mean, really just my ability to sit and stand or do anything. It was everything. It affected everything. Um, and so me and you, I mean, we you spent a lot of time, like, I'm curious how you came to, I know you had spoken with a mentor of yours. How did you come to discover these modic changes? Yeah. So, so when you initially came in, you, uh, uh, we didn't have, um, I don't think we, in, in our very first exam visit, I don't think that we had the imaging in the office yet. Um, and, uh, but so we just went through a really good physical exam. Um, yeah. And the way that I approach a, a, a spine examination um, is that we know that there are a number of different things in the spine that can be painful. Those, um, the, the most characteristic ones are muscle, joint, uh, disc, or a nerve. 
Um, and so we, those are the, those are the things, those are the bread and butter of, of spine practice. Like those are the things that come in all the time. You know how to manage them, you know how they're going to behave. Um, yeah. and so we, I, my initial exam was just to classify what, what appeared to be the most painful structure. What, what was the way that your pain kind of behaved? Um, and it definitely behaved like disc pain. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, for a lot of people, that means that they have a hard time with prolonged positioning. Um, their pain can is, is usually in the back and also radiating into the butt or into the thigh or into the calf, even into the foot um, uh, with or without nerve involvement. Um, and usually that the extent of that spread of pain is pretty variable. Um, yeah. If I remember right, yours was like primarily in your back and down into your hips. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so then, so yours gave us a lot of clues that it was disc pain. Um, and you already knew that you had an L4-5 disc herniation. Um, yeah. and so then uh, the next step was to look at like, um, for disc pain, usually that has a, uh, a behavior where one particular direction of movement helps that disc pain to decrease sensitivity decrease the intensity, decrease the spread of it down the leg, and then other directions of movement um, cause that pain intensity or, or extent to, uh, to increase. And so yeah. um, we didn't find something that really made much difference. Um, three directions, like if we look at like going forwards, going backwards, going to each side, um, three of them made you feel worse right away. Yeah. And one direction of movement at least didn't make you any worse. We could actually move you pretty aggressively in one direction without it getting worse. Um, and so we we're like, all right, that could be that could be disc pain that hasn't been fully explored. And so if I remember right, we uh, we had a couple of visits using that information. Um, you are also scheduled for a consult with a spine surgeon around fu a potential fusion yeah. at the time. And you said, hey, I've got four weeks till spine surgery. What can we do? Um, oh my gosh, you're right. I forgot that. And I... so then um, afterwards, we had uh, we were able to have your imaging on hand for our, our first follow-up visit. Um, and like it was clear that there was an old disc herniation at L45, just like you said. Um, mm -hmm. And it was on the side where we were able to move you. And so that was kind of characteristic. So at first, we just kind of doubled down and treated it like a disc that hadn't been fully explored had you just do those movements a lot, even though they were scary. Um, and um, it would improve for a few minutes, but that, that uh, improvement didn't hang around like a disc uh, that's improving usually does hang around. Um, it was lasting like, you know, two minutes where a disc that's gonna get better usually lasts, you know, at minimum 20 minutes, even, even when we first start to explore it. Um, and, so um, it became pretty clear right up front that this was not just a painful disc herniation. So then, but then fortunately looking at your MRI, um, the, there were uh, these changes in the bone around the area of the disc herniation that um, we know can be painful. So yeah. basically modic one and modic two changes represent inflammation in the edge of the bone that's adjacent to a disc herniation. And um, that, and since bone is vascular and there's nerves in the area and everything, 
it is possible mm. to have this deep achy pain that comes from the bone. Um, yeah. And so that seemed like a candidate for, um, for your pain source at the time. Now, those modic changes, like they're actually fairly common to see um, uh, in a completely painless state. So if we like, especially if we, if we image somebody who's like 70 and, yeah. uh, uh, and has no back pain whatsoever, it's actually really common to see modic changes in their spine um, that are completely painless. Um, yeah. But in your case, since we knew there was an old disc herniation, we could also see modic changes and it really wasn't behaving like disc pain on its own. That mm. additional complication made it likely that it was that it was the modic changes that could explain sort of this persistent, um, long-term, not uh, easily modified pain, um, which yeah. is super tough because what we know about modic painful modic changes or end plate pain um, is that you can't really do anything physically. There's not really any interventions that change it much. Uh, it's, uh, it's not in an area that you can get to with an injection, uh, to decrease the inflammation. Sometimes oral anti-inflammatories will have an effect while they're in use. But then as soon as that, um, as soon as you stop taking that steroid or whatever it is, then, um, then the pain comes right back. And so there's just not a lot of management that helps with it. So people kind of, kind of tell people like, you're going to have to live with this for a while. Um, yeah. and since the, this, this pain source hasn't been followed for a long period of time in research, we don't even really know how long to tell people to expect their pain to hang around. So it's super humbling for us as clinicians, because there's not a lot we can do to get in and help. And we can't even yeah. give people a lot of information. Um, that's, that's really from the literature, um, about what they can do about it. But you've kind of over the course of a few years here figured out yeah. a lot which makes yeah. was, was what made me so curious to hear about your experience um yeah. i'd speculate that what from what you described already um where you had like these really um definable episodes and then in 2018 they just stopped the pain stopped going away it stopped being episodic and just became chronic um, I'd speculate that that's probably around the time that those modic changes developed, um, and the, that bone inflammation became your primary pain source. Interesting. That is definitely, I feel like what I struggle with now is, um, like how to differentiate my pain, mm, you know, totally. which is, which is a huge obstacle with like the fear that's around setbacks because discs are so finicky like right like one wrong move and whereas with um like if it's a if pain from modic changes i would suspect you wouldn't necessarily have a major like episode where you're absolutely bedridden and hospitalized like with a disc i don't know if i'm right in saying that is that I, I don't know either. I don't really know. Yeah. So, yeah. so, um, so uh, you've since like, you, it, there was like a, a year period. So like you and I talked and we, mm -hmm. we kind of like determined, okay, this is probably what's going on here. Um, yeah. and initially you had a whole bunch of other providers lined up, um, uh, already. And so you, you kind of explored a lot of different options and you talked to, 
Um, you were eventually able to talk to uh, Stu McGill. Um, uh, so over the course of a couple of years, you've learned um, what you can do to manage this and to make your life better, even yeah. when you can't make your pain better. So tell me about like what, uh, what things have been like since you got your diagnosis and started to, or since you really got a grasp on what this diagnosis was, how did you, how did you finally sort of come to terms with what was going on and what you could do around it and who played a role in that? I honestly feel like I still in my head think of it as disc herniation. Like I yeah, still treat fair. it. I still treat it like that. Mm -hmm. Um, after we had met, it was clear to me, like you reinforced in me, which I was so grateful for that. Like you are doing all the right things. Like I was really focusing on like walking was huge is mm. huge for me. Um, and that was something that I originally implemented from Dr. McGill, Stu McGill's book. That walking... Oh yeah. From the book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, I started just being able to walk laps in my driveway. Now I can walk three miles, but it nice. took me years. It took me years to get there. Um, so I think like the physical things I've done, I'll talk about, but also the mental things like the mindset shift. I think for me, after working with you and talking about these modic changes and having you say to me as someone that like, I trust say that there's not a whole lot necessarily that you can do to see drastic progress in a short amount of time. Right. So that kind of gave me the confidence that, okay, Katie, just because progress is slow, it doesn't mean that you're not healing. That's such a nice, like such a resilient mindset. That's so like ideal was, did it take you a while to get to that? Or like, what was it like when you initially heard there's nothing more you can do about this to get a quick improvement? I honestly, that's a good question. I'm the type of person where I always believe there's something, especially when it comes to the human body. So to me, like it wasn't so much a hit as it might seem like now that I'm looking back, it sounds like I would be really like discouraged, but to me, it was almost really validating to hear because I've been doing, I worked my ass off like, and I, that used to be really hard to feel like you're doing so much, but to see such minimal progress. So for you to say like, this all makes sense, Katie, like you're doing all the right things, but it makes sense that like your progress is slow was so validating and honestly encouraging to keep doing what I was doing because I did feel like I was on the right path, regardless of what anybody else said. I think that was honestly one of the hardest parts is everybody else thought I wasn't, not everybody, but a lot of people mm. questioned, questioned my decisions of why aren't you just getting surgery or like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing the nerve ablation? Why aren't you trying all these things that are still out there? I had the confidence that I was doing the right things by just focusing on my walking. So the things that I did physically walking like four times a day, like I would walk as many times as I could throughout the day. So my day really looked like in laying down, this is where it was a key thing for me to where I couldn't go work at like a nine to five job for someone else. Like the biggest thing I think 
my advice to anybody that's living with the same pain is you have to create your environment so that you can control your environment. Like I had to be able to go lay down. That was the biggest pain management for me was just laying down and relieving that pressure. That was mm, the only, mm-hmm. that was the only thing that would help me um, immediately was laying down, taking the pressure off. I would ice and then I would get up and I would go for a walk. I'd come back, I'd lay down, I'd ice, I'd do my exercises. I'd lay down, I'd ice my entire day for a solid year was laying down, icing, walking, exercises, laying down, icing, walking, exercises. Um, and I created support. That makes a lot of sense too. Mm-hmm. That makes that makes a lot of sense too, um, because so um, a a disc herniation basically is where um, pressure over time or uh, in with or perhaps with one um, particularly like uh, unfortunate combination of forces or whatever um, it creates a pressure change in the disc that that causes it to herniate. Um, it can, it, like like I said, either slowly over time or all at once. Um, and usually there's, uh, a multitude of factors that lead to it. Um, and, uh, then for like a, a quote unquote normal disc herniation, we'd expect that to be really painful for several months. Um, yeah. and then after the, with, with like an upfront period of time, um, of a couple of a few weeks where it's inflammatory, everything's painful. It's really severe and intense. And, um, and this was probably your first episode where you were in the hospital for seven days. It's really severe and intense and everything hurts. Movement hurts, not moving hurts. Um, and uh, it's a, a very, very tough to do absolutely any part of normal life. Um, so that would, be an, uh, that would be a severe disc herniation. Um, yeah. But anti-inflammatories help in that phase. Um, and that's, that's a predictable piece. And, mm-hmm. um, and then after, and then if there's, if that nerve is herniated in a way that puts pressure on, I mean, sorry, if that disc is herniated in a way that puts pressure on a nerve, um, then injections around that nerve improve, would be expected to improve symptoms. Um, or I know some people, uh, some, some, some doctors that I, that I have followed have had a disc herniation, uh, even that put pressure on a nerve. And as long as it's not so much pressure, that the nerve stops functioning right, um, then they've just waited it out. And six months later or so, um, they re MRI'd it and they can see the improvement of the disc herniation. It starts yeah. to be reabsorbed by the autoimmune system. Um, and the, the inflammation has gone away and the, the nerve sensitivity has gone away. And they might just have some residual movement sensitivity. Um, yeah. But uh, then when that bone and when those edges of that bone become inflamed and I started diagramming this out just because I know lots of people are visual. So um, if, if we've got a, a a nice, uh, a disc there, that's nicely uh, preserved over time uh, sitting in between two bones of the spine, essentially what will happen is that in, in a case like this, and we're not sure why this happens to some people and not to other people, we'll have like a zone that develops in the end plate of the bone that um, where there's inflammation that's actually uh, affecting the bone itself. Um, there are, there's some speculation around 
like who's predisposed to this. Um, and it could be um, related to the immune system's response. So people with other immune system problems are more likely to have this. Um, it appears that people with anxiety might be more likely to have this because that keeps the immune system on higher alert. And so interesting. Um, although it's still a really low, low rate, so it's super hard to study. And these are all speculative. Um, yeah. And um, and people who have herniated the same area multiple times um, may be more predisposed to this too, because that area becomes more and more hypersensitive. Yeah. You check a, like, a couple of boxes there. I check them all. <laughs> but now <laughs> this is interesting because um, you did a blood test. You, I mean, you didn't, you looked at my blood test results. Remember this? And didn't you say right. that I we showed- We checked for inflammation, right. So we wanted to see if there was a systemic inflammation um, yeah. and that, that would have been causing like this to be, um, because systemic inflammation, uh, causes the, causes lots of different types of, it really just lowers the threshold for things to become painful. Um, mm -hmm. and so we checked your, your blood inflammatory markers and they were terrific. You, like you had told me, like you were managing diet strictly and you were, you were working on walking even when I first saw you there. And yep. like, there were so many of these things that, like you said, you were already, you had already, you were, it was, it was quite diagnostic. So, uh, inflammation, no, not a problem. Dietary choices. No, not a problem. Anxiety. You weren't managing that at the time. Um, no. so that yeah. was an opportunity for improvement there that we had identified. Mm -hmm. Um, yep. but, uh, it wasn't like this was just because it wasn't just anxiety was causing you to have fear of some small level pain. Um, right. it was, there was truly something explainable that, um, could be identified as the source of the pain here. Um, yeah. I actually like to assume for my patients that, uh, the anxiety is never the problem until we've ruled out everything else. Like, um, it's because like most of the time people know, cause anxiety is never new to them. It's not like a, a revelation for most people. Um, right. and so they usually know how their body behaves and they know that something different. Um, and so I like to assume that it's that anxiety is not the problem unless there's absolutely no, no possible way. And it just like fits the textbook, uh, situation for anxiety. Like it's right. pretty unusual for that to, to truly be the only problem. Um, yeah. but yeah, so, uh, looping back, you were talking about, um, like using walking, sitting, uh, lying cycles as your management makes a lot of sense because um, yes. things that create more pressure, um, more axial load that, that create squeezing basically on the spine. So gravity um, put more pressure on those end plates there, um, create a little compression through that sensitive area. And so right. having to vary the pressure um, with movement and, and with unloading, meaning lying down uh, makes right. a lot of sense. Um, yeah. and, and so it sounds like that's what you were doing. And, and my understanding is that, um, when you eventually talked to, uh, Dr. McGill, um, you kind of fine tuned that. And so a lot of your self-management now was around decreasing the sensitivity by really specifically targeting how much pressure is on that area. Can you mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about how you fine tuned those yeah. like cycles of movement and rest over the uh, course of a few years? Yeah. So Stu McGill really put me in my place in a very good way. Like I am forever grateful to him. He is all business and I love it. Um, 
that was like the opportunity of a lifetime. I FaceTimed him right in this room and I couldn't, I could not believe it. Um, but the two biggest takeaways I had from him were he referred to um, it as end plate edema. And he also agreed that that was likely a contributing factor also. Um, but he, he, pointed he out, called it what? End plate edema? Yeah. 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 So, so edema meaning inflammation end plate being those, those edges of the, of the vertebral body there. Yeah. So modic changes are just what a radiologist calls, um, end plate edema. Um, yeah. and you're pro he's probably more correct uh, or more, uh, more clinically correct in calling it a painful end plate edema or end plate pain. Yeah. Yeah. All meaning the same thing. It sounds, um, right. But yeah. He, he said, he, I, I'm going to, I want to share some of the big things he said to me, because I think they're important. So he looked at my Instagram and watched some of my videos and he was so, he was like, I love your enthusiasm. Like he so appreciated my outlook and my approach and like making healing fun. But he told me straight up, he was like, you cannot play around when you're doing these exercises. He was like, when you're like dancing and he's like, I love it, but you can't like, he really reinforced in me. That's when I started to really begin to see that like just doing exercises isn't enough. If you're not mindfully aware, you're not understanding what muscles to engage. You're not really understanding the purpose, the meaning and the actual how to mm. and being super mindful, you're not maximizing it. So that was like huge eye opener for me. And then he told me, was building more intention into yeah and and learning um like you know when you do a clamshell for instance i used to just like hinge it at my hip joint like i used to just lift my leg i didn't know to engage my glute like i didn't know i was i wanted to try to keep like my quad not engaged or vice versa like so if you're not using hmm. the, the purpose of the exercise is to engage specific muscles. If you're not engaging those muscles, you're not having the full outcome that the exercise is intended to provide. Right. So that was a huge realization for me. And the other thing was he told me to go read the book again. He said, go read the back mechanic because you're missing God love him. He said, you're missing some of the key things here. And one of them was don't lay down for more than four to five minutes at a time. I was laying down for hours at a time. Um, 45 minutes, you said? For hours, four to five. Oh, yeah. So no more. So can you, can you hear me or am I, am I cutting out? Uh, my my internet connection is a little shady but it should oh, okay. heal in moments okay um so he told me not to lay down for more than four to five minutes so less than 10 minutes of laying at a time i was laying down for like mm -hmm. hours at a time and mm -hmm. that i was like when he told me that i remember being like how the hell am i going to do that like I literally right. rely on, on it's super disruptive down. to have to change position that often. Yeah. So I started setting timers on my phone and it took, 
like, honestly, it sounds like it's something so simple. It took such discipline to actually get up every four to five minutes that I would be laying down and do it in intervals. I noticed an immediate difference Mm. when I implemented that. Cool. So Um, there's one of those, there's one of, this is one of those pieces that maybe we as clinicians aren't broadly using to its full advantage yet because you got an immediate noticeable change in your symptoms that started to decrease that sensitivity. So what, what does that look like during the course of your day? How do you implement having to, you know, lie down for five minutes and then be up and moving for a short period and then lie down for five? Like, what, what does that look like over the course of a morning or, or a day? Well, now I've made a lot of progress and I don't rely on laying down nearly as much as I used to. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm able to do more. Um, but this is where like, I built my business at home for this exact reason so that I could bring my phone into my bed and continue to work and lay down and get up and go for a walk. I have my phone. Like I, that's what I mean about like, I've made my external environment, what I need it to be so that I can manage it. Um, but it used to be, I mean, I'd get up, I'd ice, I'd go for a walk. I'd come back. I'd lay down, uh, four to five minutes. (laughs) That was hard. Then it's like, you know, I'm an all or nothing type personality by nature. So I had to learn like, okay, Katie, if you need more than five minutes, give yourself five minutes. Like if you're still in agonizing pain after going for a walk, it's okay to lay down for 10 minutes if that's what you need, you know? Um, Mm, Yeah. Yeah. You give yourself some leeway to not be that five minutes every single time. Yeah. Um, And now, honestly, I've gotten a lot more lax with it, which is what happens when we make progress. I'm personally in a phase of it's a double-edged sword because I've made progress, but now it's I got to get my act together because this is when you start to regress is if you don't keep doing the things, you know, and I know that for a fact. Um, But what he said to me was that made a lot of sense that I never thought of is even when you're laying down, that's compression. It's just a different type of compression than when you're standing up. Different direction, right? I didn't think of that. Right. So here I am not mm-hmm. understanding. I'm like, why is my back hurting when I'm laying down? So it's compression at every angle that affects right, it. Right. Right. So in my eyes, which is a similar approach to a disc herniation, anything you can do to relieve the compression um, is helpful. Right. <laughs> you know, like weight management strengthening the muscles back there, the walking, unloading my spine, laying down all these different things, um, is my, is where my mindset is always at. When you, when you had to be really strict initially, um, about not lying down for more than four to five minutes, what were you doing in the interim? Um, like you'd lie down for 45 minutes, but the rest of your hour looked like Oh, I would cover. Because I know walking was hard. Yeah, when so when when I learned that I was in a place where um, 
I had my, my, I created like a community online. So I would do like live videos and there was a support group for people focusing on health and wellness. That was what my life consisted of was my, me was my life, my healing, my back became a hundred percent my life. So like, I didn't do, I didn't go places. I did not do other things. Mm -hmm. It was very consuming to me. So for me, my day literally was just walking, laying down, coming in here, sitting as long as I could, doing a video, answering my clients, like laying down, making food, going out for a walk, doing my exercises. That was it. Was the duration of your other, so since lying was only 45 minutes, was the duration of your standing or the duration of your sitting, were those things that you had to limit in specific ways? Oh yeah. My sitting and standing was like, it varied depending on how I was feeling, what I did the night before, how my morning went. Mm. If I had gone for a walk, I mean, every single thing that I do affects my threshold of being able to sit for, if it's 10 minutes, like right now, I could sit here for an hour. I have pain down in my calves right now, down in my legs. Um, but my back actually isn't sore, but back then my back sitting here for 10 minutes, that would be my limit. And I'd mm, have to go right. lay down I'd have to go lay down. So that was a key thing for me. So was, over the course of an hour, you might've, you might've gone from sitting for 10 minutes to lying down for four minutes to sitting for 10 minutes, lying down for four minutes, walking for 10 minutes. Like yes. that might be what your hour looked like all day long. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? Was that, was that, cause you were, you talk about how you were building your, your uh, environment. Um, yeah. Was it hard to feel like you were like doing any of like your external goals or really was the back enough oh, yeah. to be like the big motivator for no. the day? <laughs> no, that was, um, that's one of the biggest struggles mentally with this is, uh, and who's watching over here. I mean, live, Olivia, uh, Jasmine, all these ladies over here, Tayaba. One of the biggest things that we struggle with is it, you feel completely stuck in life. I said that to Eric the other day. I was like, it, it makes me emotional now. Mm. Um, it does. It like your life gets put on hold. Yeah. You know? Um, and there's a lot of rewiring and acceptance that we have to do. And it's all about perspective, you know, like I, Eric and I haven't gotten married because of my back. We haven't had kids. Um, you know, these are all the things that this was not the, you know, I built this business that I, I love and that I feel is like my purpose, but that's not what I was in the direction I was going. Like I had a career, I had a 401k, I had benefits, I had mm -hmm. the life, you know, that I worked really hard for. Um, and a lot of the people that I attract, you know, like a lot of my clients are very much the same type of go-getter motivated personality and it's it's uh you're stuck in the mud you know it's like which that's the um 
that's one of the biggest parts of like managing that and shifting that perspective and helping you heal. Like if, if you're stuck in that mindset, you can't heal. Mm. How did you shift that? So for me, I created online communities. Um, When I first got hurt, I was, I created a health and wellness community because I was in one that was facilitated by someone else that helped me so much. And then I got to a point where I wanted to lead it. I wanted to create my own. Um, And that's when I was really focusing on like the nutrition and the gut health, weight loss. I could still hardly walk, but I was really focused on nutrition. And those things are really hard to do alone. Um, Yeah, that's such a... I I don't want to pass by that because that's such a good insight. Like these behavior changes, like, uh, and I mean, having either the people around you or finding people that you can have around you in person or virtually makes so much better. So such a better experience. You, one of the biggest things we talk about is like, when something like this happens, you know, you turn to like your friends, your family, your significant other, but if they haven't gone through it, you can't, it's twofold. Like they feel helpless. Your Mm. family, the person who's like, who has been your support system for other scenarios in your life. If they haven't walked in that path, they just, they don't, there are aspects of it that they can't understand And if you are someone that is going through this, you have to find people that get it on like a literal soul level that have gone through it, that have felt the pain, that have felt the same emotions, because I can't expect Eric to fulfill that support role in every single aspect of this journey for me. Yeah. I can't expect my mom or my brother, you know, my brother's gone through it and not quite as severe as I have, you know, but and he's in a different situation. Like he has two kids. He's hurt his back. He has a mortgage to pay. Like he's in a different situation than I am. So finding people that mirror my situation has been huge. Yeah. yeah. You know, the women on here watching right now, some of them, that's been them. Um, and that was really the foundation of my business. When I, when I saw the the power of community and saw that like I could really facilitate and lead and support people and hold space in that way for people. That's when I, that was when I started to see true purpose and my, this whole injury for me, like this whole thing. Yeah, totally. And it's such, um, speaking as a clinician, it is, we definitely in scenarios like this, where there's not something that we can do, something that we can offer that makes um, a, a, a noticeable impact. It definitely is disempowering for us um, yeah. as people who like to go out. We're mostly people pleasers. We mostly like to tell people good news or I can help you. Um, right. And so um, in scenarios like this, it's, it's definitely tough. Um, I've uh, so then were you able, were there providers that helped you um, in the, um, the, the mindset side of learning to manage this? Um, so you got me connected with Jane Zill, which was huge for me. So she was 
uh, she is a trauma therapist that I'm still seeing more than a year later now. Um, Cause we had kind of uncovered this fear of movement. What's the technical term? Kinesophobia. Kinesophobia, right, right, yeah. Um, but just and, on a practical level, you said it right. Like it's yeah. like you had a legitimately justified fear of movement, which yeah. kind of made it hard to be open to changing your routines um, because everything, everything that you had done at that point, everything was very fine tuned to make you feel as good as you knew how to make yourself feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that mindset, honestly, working with her opened up, I mean, fear of movement. We didn't even, it was like, I had so much to unleash once I got in there about just my entire life and everything that it was, that helped me in a, in an aspect that I had never really had that type of support. So that was really beneficial for me just at that stage in my life to have an outlet like that. Um, and then Nick, um, Dr. Nick Salinas with functional movement therapy, who I met just on Instagram a year ago, I've been working with him for a year now. He is, um, a doctor of physical therapy. He was a personal trainer for a while. He really has the life coach-esque kind of vibe, just like me, you know, we really connected. So he was really um, someone that like, I worked with him virtually. Some of our sessions, PT sessions would just be me crying and literally talking to him about like my fear of movement or like the fear my frustration with my lack of progress or so as far as practitioners go you and him really helped me or provided got me connected to mindset type resources nobody else even it wasn't even a topic of discussion well I remember I remember at one point you you mentioned to me that somebody had referred you to a therapist for cognitive behavioral therapy but like there's a time where like that's that wasn't even like to you that wasn't the that wasn't what you were ready for it wasn't um there were still other questions to answer about what was actually going on before you could start to change like the way that you thought about yourself oh yeah that was so that was that was um required by my insurance company to to get to get very motivating yeah yeah to get my surgery approved that I didn't Uh, end up getting. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's what that was. It wasn't Um, even presented as really a way to help you solve a problem. It was presented as a hoop to jump through. It was presented as we have to make sure this isn't all in your head before we pay for this physical surgery to be done. Yeah. That's what that was. Yikes. And when I went in and saw this occupation, um, uh, cognitive behavioral therapist, I would lay down on her floor. I still couldn't sit at that time. And I remember her just, even she was like, this is ridiculous. The fact that you're even here is ridiculous. So she recognized that this wasn't yet the place where you should be either. No, it it was immediate to her. She was like, you're so self-aware of what everything that's going on which was validating. I mean, I went there and it was more validation, you know? Um, but that was definitely, I mean, my biggest frustration before coming to you was just a lack of like, I call it 
the 360, like full body approach, mm. you were the first taste of that that I ever got. Like, yeah, you, among clinicians, we call this a biopsychosocial approach. And it's sort of taking into account that there's multiple factors in most people's health issues, not just pain, but more broadly. Um, and yeah. um, it's, it's not everyone implements it in the same way. Um, right. And a lot of people think they're using a biopsychosocial approach, but it may not be the most functional version of it. Um, yeah. But so there's a lot of a lot of talk about it and not a lot of consensus around the best way to handle it. And I think that in a lot of settings, um, time constraints and documentation constraints and things like that limit clinicians and their ability to really implement it. But on a like on a base perspective, it's basically just wanting. I think the most helpful thing is just wanting to connect with your patients um, in, a, in the big in a big picture kind of way. And yes. um, I think it's nice because chiropractors and physical therapists have a little bit more time afforded to them in their visits because of the right. nature of the treatments that we usually provide. And yeah. that gives us the leeway to explore these things a little bit more deeply um, right. within the current medical system. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I think that's, that's, uh, the, those, that was really interesting to hear about your, the context of how the different times that you approached the um, sort of the psychology side of, of this, of this picture. Oh yeah. Um, I had a question for you. Um, so since, uh, I, I kind of have a good sense of like what your cycles of pain and then your, your chronic pain, um, were like before we worked together, but since you've sort of been able to pin down what your best, um, what your best things that you can do to, to manage your, your pain are. Um, what has, it's, you, you, you mentioned that right now you can sit for an hour for this chat, um, which is something that you couldn't do a few years ago. How have things changed over the past two years since you learned how to self-manage? Um, so I've had very like slow, but steady incremental, like progress. Mm. Um, very like every six months, I feel like there's a noticeable, like, like the second hand goes one more notch every six months. Um, I, I started when I started working with Nick with functional movement therapy, that was when he really pushed me in ways physically mm. and emotionally um, overcome a lot of the fear that I've had to have someone on Zoom right here in my home, like with me as I'm trying to do these movements. Like for me, it's been such a dynamic approach. Like mm. it's mm -hmm. the emotional approach working on myself, working on self-confidence, just in other areas of my life, honestly, have really helped me with confidence and healing. Um, and I would start to notice, like, I could sit a little bit longer without pain in my back. I used to get this burning pain in my hips and in my low back, which I never quite knew is this that that end plate stuff or is it that right, disc you know right. 
in my fear would always go to it's the disc like you got to go lay down like you got to go something bad's gonna happen you know take the pressure off it yeah um so I just started to make really incremental and still like that's how I notice it like I can a little bit more flexion I can do now I'll I'll notice I'll like just move a different way that I intentionally would use used to try to avoid like it's these little teeny tiny measures of progress that I notice um but mostly just my threshold of standing and sitting has grown and that's how I can really measure that progress is being made Mm -hmm. um is that what you meant oh yeah definitely yeah what's um is the intensity of your day-to-day pain different or is it primarily changes in sort of your day-to-day function or both? Both. So as a female and with all my female clients, Mm. our menstrual cycle plays a huge role in our pain. Um, For me, it's like, it takes my pain to a three to like an 11. I mean, Mm. it is there's definitely something like this is, I'm the type of person where like, I know there's something that can be done to help that process. I have to, that's something that's in my brain, right? Like hormones, inflammation, there's stuff involved here that's adding to my pain. But so that's huge. Mm, Um, Our menstrual cycle for women. Um, And absolutely like what I do the day before, if I did my PT, how long I laid in bed, my pain, yeah, Amanda says agreed to the menstrual cycle. Um, everything, so like living life in this pain is a very strategic way of living. So um, because everything you do takes some of your, like uh, like a bucket of rocks. Every rock is like a little bit more capability, right? Each rock is like adding to your threshold. Everything you do throughout the day takes a rock off, takes a rock off. And eventually you get down to where it's here at the end of the day and you're maxed out and you can't do anymore. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my days are pretty much the same for the most part. I'm working on pushing myself outside of my routine now that I am capable of more, like this is some of up here. Um, Yes. Spoons, the spoon theory. Yeah. I've heard the spoon analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Someone just commented that. Um, A lot of my days are the same, which in the inflammation is real. Yes, Amanda. (laughs) Um, So yeah, everything, everything affects it. So it's kind of, it's, it's always, prioritizing and sacrificing. Mm -hmm. I don't look at it as sacrificing anymore because that used to piss me off. (laughs) Knowing that I had to sacrifice, like choosing what am I going to sacrifice to do today? Or what am I going to sacrifice? You know, it feels unfair, right? Oh yeah. I mean, it definitely it's, I always say there's a healthy amount of self-pity in this. Like it's normal (laughs) to feel it's normal. We're human. You know, yeah, feel totally. the self-pity, but you have to move out of that if you want to make progress. You just have to. Um, and it's not always easy. It's, it, you know, it's very easy to be spiteful, to be 
um, resentful to look at other people and be envious and be jealous and why me, mm, but what really. does that get you? Gets you nothing, nowhere. Yeah, it yeah. brings you back. Um, yeah, I forget what I was saying, but everything. That's, that's, I really appreciate you describing like the emotional journey, uh, even like, at, like you've said, like you have um, a very, like your internet presence is very positive. You mm -hmm. even in person, you're, you're very positive. Um, and it's clear that you'll like um, always uh, exude that kind of energy. Um, but then there is this whole side of things where it's hard to manage and it's a lot of energy and it's a lot of work and it's a lot of change. Um, yeah. And so that's something that since we as clinicians, like in a, in a situation like this, um, it sounds like Nick has been uh, uh, has been a great um, accountability kind of support. My practice yeah. isn't set up to provide that kind of um, that kind of follow up, right. and so I don't always get to see what um, how life changes over time. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate um, you sharing it with me so that I can tell other people with the same problem what things might look for them look like for them going forward. Um, oh, and yeah. I also love that you've assembled such a, a so much variety in your team um, from your social supports, um, your in your in your online communities, um, and uh, uh, sort of educating uh, your um, your fiance and your family, oh. and building a team of providers around you that includes the biggest priority things that you need help with. Like I think that's yeah. an awesome, awesome approach. Well, it's so necessary. I mean, unlikely are you going to go to one doctor who has every answer. And yeah. I think that's a, a big misconception that we as patients have. Um, and which is why I really appreciated you. And I've told you this before is like, you weren't afraid to tell me like, I'm not sure about that. Or like, I'm going to look into this or let's figure this out. Like we need to look at this together and you made me feel like we were a team and I felt encouraged to go explore other things. Whereas with other doctors, like I felt nervous to tell them maybe that I was looking at this option or exploring this option. Cause I didn't, I like felt bad because of the way they had presented, you know, themselves to me. And it does. I mean, there's, the way that I look at healing is it's never ending. Like the way that I look at this injury, like I've gotten to a point where I don't, there's no end destination for me. Like there's always, we can always be doing things to help our body heal. And my approach and what I encourage all my people, all my clients is don't stop. Like keep, there's always the next enhancement. There's always the next education. There's always the next addition. Like absorb as much as you freaking can and apply what you can. We're like a constant science experiment as long totally as we're alive. As especially, long as we're alive. In these, especially in these super individual scenarios where like there's not a huge group of other people that have been through it to, to yeah. lay out the roadmap. It's so you're, you're charting your own territory. Yeah. Yeah. You have to forge your own path you have to. And, um, there's not always a lot of encouragement to do that. 
Um, you encourage me. I very much felt that encouragement for you from you. I try to encourage that and instill that in everyone that I talk to. Um, cause that's, it's that empowerment piece. Like, and that was a big thing that Stu McGill was big on was empowerment. Like just in the 45 minutes we were FaceTiming, he was like, I want you to stand up tall. You are a warrior. He was like, you are empowered. Like he was saying all these after, and I was like, oh you know, like we have to be empowered and feel like we're in control. That's we have awesome. to. Yeah. That's terrific. Yeah. So this, this has been really good. I agree. Thanks so much for sharing, sharing all of these insights. Uh, it's it's been, been a, a, a long journey for you since 2015. And uh, the, se seven years in, there's, you, you've, uh, I think, provided some insight that'll be very helpful to other people. Thank you. I appreciate that. We have, I just want to read, I appreciate doctors that are open and think outside the box and are also a team with their patients. Yes, Amanda. Maria, you are such a warrior to me. Oh, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> well, Dr. McCann, Thank you so much for doing this. I am so open to doing this again anytime. Um, the more that we can just get information, perspective, this stuff out there, I think is just really helpful and transformative for everyone. Totally agree. Let's, I, I'm, sure we'll, I'm sure we'll be back on here live in a few months. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye, guys. Wow. I hope you guys gained something out of this. I listened to this now. That was back in April. So April, May, June, July, August, September, October, uh, September, five months, not even six months. I feel like I have grown so much as a person. I've grown so much emotionally, so much physically. I've made even more progress. Um, just proof that you just got to keep going and you just got to keep finding what your next step is. And it looks different for all of us, but I hope some of these details that we shared, the intimacies of my story, um, the questions that he asked, I think were incredible. And just, you can really tell that Dr. McCain cares about the quality of life and the emotional state of his patients, which those two things right there are what matter when you're healing your quality of life and your emotional state so I have linked ways to connect with me ways to connect with Dr. McCann his website I linked the book that we mentioned back mechanic I will also go ahead and drop the link this live interview you guys can actually go watch it face to face like watch the video if you'd rather do that or also would like to do that that's on my Facebook I will link the link for that and any questions, if this resonates with you, if you want to connect with either one of us, just go ahead and click the link for, for me or him. But I'm easy to get on Instagram or Facebook and we're here for you guys. So with that said, I hope this resonated and as always, take care of yourself.